podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On this episode... In the studio, we have singer, songwriter, and cider maker, and sometimes magician, Ethan Keller. So thanks for being here, Ethan. Hi, good morning. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to have you. Uh, I've, I've gotten to know you a little bit through some social media, but uh, and, and then since, since then, I've gotten to become aware of your, your music, and it's been everywhere. You are just a man about town, and I, I just want to learn more about you today. So can you tell me, I mean... I guess where to start. Um, tell me, I mean, what you've been doing in the area in the last, I don't know, decades since you've been playing. Goodness gracious, man, <laughs> man about town, man about town. I like that title. That's that's going to go on my next business card. Go for it. Man about town. Yeah, I get around. Um, I've been traveling the country for a good, you know, 10 years. I started kind of consistently touring maybe as a solo artist in 2000 seven or 2008 or 2009 more about and um but for the last eight years i've been 10 years i've been making cider and i finally just started a new cidery uh gigs kind of dried up last year because of uh, some little uh, virus so um yeah so but it's uh it's really refreshing i'm you know it's nice to be a part of the milwaukee community and it's nice to be on um social media experimenting with social media so 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 media it's kind of so so media so um yeah we're all getting into new media things lately and trying trying to figure out what our media is and we are the media and you're the media and we're all mediums right here so i'm feeling very medium this monday morning (laughs) it is a monday that's for sure um so tell me so you were touring were you touring, touring up until COVID? Yeah, pretty much. I think my last, I, well, I was kind of, I still had gigs uh, last year during COVID, um, which was kind of iffy, kind of so-so. Um, so a lot of them were private gigs. Um, but I did, I was playing at Milwaukee Ale House. Um, uh, I, I think November last year was my last live gig um, in Milwaukee. But then it started getting bad in Wisconsin and everybody Mm-hmm. People were freaking out at, you know, 2,000 cases a day in October, mm-hmm. and, and by November, it was like 4,000 cases a mm-hmm. day, and it was getting kind of scary, so everybody really mm-hmm. hunkered down at that point, and my gigs were, I got my, my second gig in November there was canceled, so hopefully they'll have me back for some of those house gigs, mm-hmm. which they like to have mm-hmm. uh, Milwaukee artists in, so I'll be back there soon. For sure. So tell me what kind of things you were doing on tour. Uh, and was that as a soloist, or did you ever do things with a band? Um, both. Um, I l- prefer to play with my band, mm-hmm. um, and the more the merrier. I love the chemistry of having great musicians on stage to play with and mm-hmm. get to improvise on my own material mm-hmm. and have the horn section that's even better at mm-hmm. Summerfest and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, a lot of my touring was solo um, because it's, it's cut more cost-effective for a venue to hire one person who can run a loop station mm-hmm. and entertain mm-hmm. a big crowd for three hours right, for as sure. opposed to playing 
uh, paying a full band of four people or five people or six people. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was cool. I got um, my, some of my regular circuits were kind of like out to the West Coast and back. I have a cousin in Washington. My sister lives in Boise. Um, she previously lived in Helena, so I got out to Montana. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of good relationships along the way in Minnesota. Um, and then out to the East Coast as well, too. I have um, some friends in Pennsylvania and Jersey and New York and even Vermont and stuff like that. So it's, it was fun to get back and forth. It even even got down to Virginia and North Carolina a couple of years nice. back. And yeah, I love I loved to tour. It gets in your bones. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, I mean, how did you just book all this for yourself? Were you working just for <laughs> yourself or did you do, were you working through Oh someone? yeah, it was, it's always, I mean, not always. I have had, um, I've been on agencies mm-hmm. before. Back in my old band, Green Scene, we were mm-hmm. signed to a national agency um, and had some good touring with them. But also when you're on an agency, they don't necessarily care about your routing as much as you do. Mm-hmm. They might just throw you here or throw you there and, mm-hmm. you know, um, so, but a lot of my touring was booked by myself and I was amazed at some of the gigs I was able to land on Craigslist Really? or, or uh, you know, just, um, you know, some online booking agencies, nice. uh, things like that. So some of those opportunities that presented themselves just by fishing the online hmm. waters was really, was really cool and really eye-opening. Some of the highest paid gigs. Really? Um, some of the biggest corporate kind of gigs and, and actually knowing that an entire array of bands they were looking at and still being selected for that nice. gig. It was, it's nice to kind of wade through a big online shark tank and still know yeah. that you um, have risen to the top a little bit. Tell me about some of those gigs that you found. Like, what are some of the better ones? Hmm. Well, that big, nice corporate paying gig one that I found was way out in Seattle. Wow. Um, it was on the rooftop of the Four Seasons right on the waterfront, and there was a big new building Wow. that the uh, the brokers were the ones who were putting on this event. Yeah. They had beer with their own label on it made from a local brewery. You know. Cool. Um, it was it was very cool. Uh, they brought you up for that. Yeah, I had to fly a bass player out. Cool. And, and hire a Seattle drummer that I had mm-hmm. never met. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Of all of the strange things I've done in my career to throw a band together now, <laughs> that was one of them. Huh. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, so at what? how old were you when you started touring? Hmm. Well, I started playing when I was 13. I probably had my first gig when I was 14. And then my own original band, uh, I started when I was 16. My first album came out when I was seventeen. Wow! And I think my first tour went out when I was eighteen. Wow! So you were just in it right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what? I mean, what about music? I, what was it that that just was calling to you so early on? Hmm. Well, music is just hopefully always there in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I was a little baby, my mom used to sing to me and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got the whole world mm-hmm. in his hands got the whole you know um things like that i think when i was in in grade school um well when i was when i was very young maybe even second grade i remember this my mother had a baby we had a babysitter she went to alverno college and one of her classmates was our babysitter mm-hmm. in the music department she was mm-hmm. and she 
babysat us, and she taught me how to play a little ragtime piece on the piano. Oh, fine. And to this day, it's still one of the only two-handed piano things that I can like put together. <laughs> and ragtime's not easy. You right. Kind of like right. There's some real syncopation there that can throw you. Right. And so. To this day, it's still one of the few things that I can play, like, two-handed on the piano. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, and then in grade school, I think some of my teachers pegged me as a person who was able to uh, hit harmony, mm -hmm. to just pick out the bottom part or pick out the top part and be able to sing that while somebody else is singing something yeah. else. And then my first experience with, with a band, I started a band when I was 13. I kind of rallied a whole bunch of people, like, let's start this band, yeah. played a bunch of covers. And I learned how to play bass and sing at the same time when I was 13. And that's still, a, that's ask any bass player, that's very hard to do because that's two different melodic rhythms going at the same time in right. your head and, and you have to untangle your brain. Um, so I learned how to do that and I sang harmonies in, in that band. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I kind of like tried to run that band as a little freshman in high school. That's so, amazing. Um, what was the band called? We didn't even have a name. Really? Yeah, but we practiced every day. That's amazing. Practice five days a week. What kind of music did you play? Uh, we were we played only covers. Okay. Yeah. Like current covers at that time. Yeah, like uh, you know, like Alice in Chains, Wood. Mm -hmm. We played uh, the Lemonheads version of Mrs. Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> That's hilarious. We played, uh, gosh, we played State of Love and Trust by Pearl Jam. Nice. Played um, Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. And where would you play gigs at that time? Uh, we only had one gig. Oh, when okay. I was 13, That was I was in that band, we had one gig. And, and actually, my first gig was cool because we opened for a band that's famous now, hmm. or at least some of the, one of the guys in the band, the band leader. Um, and I got to sit in on my first ever gig, and hmm. that still blows me away. That my, the first gig I ever played, the band that we opened for, had recently lost their bass player. So mm -hmm. they went from a quartet to become a trio. Mm -hmm. And when they played a couple of covers that I knew, I said, hey, I know those songs on mm -hmm. bass. Can I play? Yeah. And they let me sit in on two songs. Nice. And that guy, Chris Voss, uh, his old band was from Burlington, Wisconsin. I'm from McQuanago. Yeah. Down the road. And we had this gig in East Troy when I was 13. And now Chris Voss is in the record company, which yeah. is a really huge band. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah, cool. so I've known him my entire life. Well, not my entire life, but since I was 13. So. Yeah, most of your life, yeah. And uh, so what got you, I mean, so from there, you just, you were in it. You were, you were bound and destined to go and be a musician, be a touring musician, maybe. Did you know at that point that that's what you wanted to do? Um, not necessarily. When I was younger, I wanted to be kind of maybe a graphic artist. Okay. I think I think my first desire was to be an astronomer. And then I think I took astronomy in high school and got the math of mm -hmm. astronomy. And I was like, <laughs> forget that. Like, <laughs> Okay, I won't do that. So, uh, well, but so then I, I liked graphic arts. I drew a lot. I drew, um, I liked, I had commercial art in high school, sure. honors art in high school. So, but by then I, but um, by freshman year, I had seen like the Pearl Jam video and I kind of knew I had maybe wanted to play a, you know, when fifth and sixth grade came around and the music teacher came around and be like, you want to be in band or orchestra? I didn't know, I didn't think any of that music would appeal to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe I could play drums, you know, but then junior high came around and I, like, I got my first boom box when I was a freshman in high mm -hmm. school, which is kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Columbia Record Company, you know, the record yeah, yeah. Columbia House, you get like 12 albums. Yep. 
So I got all of this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I got, you know, Nirvana, Nevermind. I got Pearl Jam 10. I got Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. I got Mm -hmm. Primus, Sailing Mm -hmm. the Seas of Cheese. I got all this stuff. And I, and I, my dad bought me a bass. And when I was 13, I'm like, Dad, I want an electric bass. Everybody's playing guitar. And I picked up a bass at White House Music in Waukesha. And I was like, I want a bass. Yeah. So I started out as a bass player, and in six months, I, in within six months, I had my bass, you know, at high school in the cafeteria, and it was all slap happy playing nice. please bass lines and like attract, you know, the other musicians were like, let's start a band, and I'm like, yeah, let's play some Pearl Jam, <laughs> do all this stuff. So when I really found the music that I loved, that's when I was like. I don't even know what I want to do after high school, but I know that I want to play music yeah. like right now and take it as far as I can. Yeah, that's great. And you and you have been ever since, essentially. Like you haven't, I mean, you've been doing the cider thing more recently, but pretty much ever since then it's been live music. Is that correct? Yeah, um, it's, it's, the goals have definitely shifted and changed and morphed and I've, the, I've remade, I remade my old band a dozen times and I've, remade the Ethan Keller group a dozen times you know I kind of went solo in 2004 I let my old band go and ever since then I've been trying to whatever have a my own name Mm -hmm. as the artist name somebody said hey you got a cool name I'm like sure you know Mm -hmm. but uh Mm -hmm. so I'm just trying to navigate the new waters of the music industry because the old one, you know, the old ways crumbled right right before my eyes. I saw it from the inside, you know. I knew the record company exec. I had, you know, friends' bands mm-hmm. uh, got signed and got neglected and dropped. And mm-hmm. um, so there was a lot of illusions um, that I had when I started playing music. And there are a lot of people in the music business with a lot of illusions, mm-hmm. whether you're a business person in the record company side of it, or whether you're a musician just trying to make a name for yourself. There's just a lot of illusions to what people think it's all about. Mm-hmm. And um, you have to answer a lot of questions for yourself before you can even really go out and do anything and have any real prerogative. So a lot of people never even do that, and that's why yeah. they don't last. So, What are some of the things that you've learned? What are some of the illusions that you can think of? Hmm. Well, uh, well, doing music for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. you know, um, doing it for fame mm-hmm. or doing it for money or um, to attract women or to um, be popular or, or mm-hmm. something like that. That stuff is very, it's fleeting. Mm-hmm. Those things don't, um, you'll never be fair, you'll never get measured fairly if you go out in the mm-hmm. world as a musician and approach your musicianship that way. People will always judge you in a superficial way. Mm-hmm. So I think if I died tomorrow, I hope somebody say something about my music like, well, he wasn't the best guitarist or he wasn't the best musician or he wasn't even the best songwriter, but he was a, a pretty good lyricist mm-hmm. or maybe a smart, insightful person mm-hmm. um, who went places, mm-hmm. you know, I actually have been around. You know, mm-hmm. it's nice to have say I've seen a lot of the country Right. Um, I feel already blessed, mm-hmm. so I don't feel like I have to go chase anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to chase things that are out of my reach, mm-hmm. and I'm lucky to chase peace. 
Um, and also one of the other illusions I think about music is that it's everything and that it can bring you all the peace that you would ever need. Mm-hmm. That's not true either. It's just one thing. It's I'm, I'm a musician and it's in my soul. It's part of me. But it's, I'm many things. Mm-hmm. I'm not just a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also a father. I'm a brother. You know, I'm a, I'm a boyfriend, hopefully mm-hmm. a good one. So... Um, <laughs> It's uh, music doesn't give me everything I need, mm-hmm. um, and so that was one of the illusions that I had to break through. Mm-hmm. At what point did you find that out? Did kind of realize that? Mm. Well, I kind of always knew, mm-hmm. but you know, you know, uh, you know that music is cathartic for people. You know that angry music exists because anger mm-hmm. needs to get out. You know, I like. Tool's second album. I love Tool's second album. Undertow is like front to back album for me. Um, some Meta- I grew up on some Metallica. I love the, the angst. You know, my friend. I was just listening to my friend's band from Chicago this morning, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know, my friend Stuby. He's got. He wrote a great song about racial profiling, about the, the cop pulling you over just because of the way you look, mm-hmm. and um, about the inherent power of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, messing with people um so there's a lot of there's a lot of catharsis when people write songs um but it's still it's not everything um it doesn't bring you the peace that you need you can express it in an artful way um but you still have to deal with the issue you Mm -hmm. know writing a song about racial profiling doesn't make racial profiling disappear Mm -hmm. you know i can write a great protest song about Standing Rock or Standing in the Water or, you know, Praying for the Water or things like that. But still, the policy has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a fine line between being a, an artist mm-hmm. and, a, you know, making your visceral experience something worthy of being called art. And then this, there's a conversation about what you do as an artist to change the world Mm -hmm. with your art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very very true and can you tell us a little bit about the style of music or or even just about your music in general what you write about as a musician changing the world Mm -hmm. um changing minds Mm -hmm. and that's very audacious you know my girlfriend calls me audacious sometimes and i kind of welcome it Mm -hmm. um if it's not a bad word you know Mm -hmm. Whatever. Great word. I mean, Obama wrote the audacity of hope, you know. So, in general, I think audacious is a, is a mm-hmm. terrible word. It should have a negative connotation. But when it comes to changing the world, you should be audacious. Mm-hmm. When it comes to um, stopping pipelines, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, God bless those people chaining themselves to the machines, you know, mm-hmm. because they care about indigenous women mm-hmm. going missing when the man camps mm-hmm. go up, mm-hmm. the workers who build the pipeline, mm-hmm. there's just, you know, they go missing in North Dakota, you know, South Dakota, wherever they're building the pipeline. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real issue. That's why they go to Wells Fargo's front door because mm-hmm. they say, Wells Fargo, you are directly funding our women mm-hmm. going missing. Mm-hmm. So um, it's hard to go out there and want to change the world with love. Mm-hmm but also have to put your foot down and go, this is a line you can't cross. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think uh, 
you know, I'm going to make a terrible bartender at my cidery because I can't stray away from <laughs> politics and religion. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, no matter what question you ask me, I'm going to talk about changing the world, be an audacious, uh, <laughs> being, uh, being, um, uh, having uh, an audacious kind of hope, having, um, um, trying to have a positive impact on the world, whether or not anybody likes it or not. You know, like you know, there's the empire out there. Yeah, you, you know there, as my as an indigenous friend says, the destroyer never sleeps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whatever culture you come from, whatever religion you come from, whatever spirituality you have inside of you, you know there's something. You, there's a grain of truth to that. That mm -hmm. there's something out there that is trying to destroy stuff, mm -hmm. and that will never sleep. You know, so I don't want to be a destructive person. Mm -hmm. The only thing I want to destroy is terrible ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only thing I want to destroy is greed, mm -hmm. uh, sexism, racism. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a lot of things I want to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> no small feat, but yeah, you, you're, why not? Uh, you're on your way there. And so what got you uh, so in, involved in working with indigenous people? Hmm. My alma mater is McQuanago High School. McQuanago's mm -hmm. logo is the Indians. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to be, you know, one of those people that said, oh, everybody's going to get upset about something. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to be offended about something. And a dear friend of mine from high school, an old fan of my old band mm -hmm. from as far back as I can remember, something like she would be the only one in the, uh, one of two people at the library show mm -hmm. or something, you know, she said to me, People are not mascots. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that it's, that's all I needed. Mm. There's really no other thing that needs to be said. Mm. So eventually I was like, yeah, you know. Um, and then do you learn there are studies out there that show the harm of it, how they harm the kids. Mm -hmm. And then you realize the National Congress of American Indians, the largest organization of American Indians in the country, and la largest and oldest, has been fighting since 1969 mm -hmm. for the uh, respect not to be used in, mm -hmm. as a caricature. Mm -hmm. There's thousands of schools all over the country that have race-based mascots, and they're literally teaching kids hands-on racism. So after my eyes were open. It was really um, the most the most disgusting thing that I saw was that it took ten years or more of pushing and all eleven tribes speaking unanimously, all eleven federally recognized tribes in Wisconsin mm -hmm. saying, "Stop this practice of mm -hmm. race-based mascots." Mm -hmm. And then it, after ten years, legislation was passed saying, "Okay, now there's a state mandate from Governor Doyle saying no schools can have race-based mascots." Mm -hmm. And in the obstreperousness, some people from my community in Quantico filed a bogus lawsuit. And one of Scott Walker's cronies took the case pro bono. Mm -hmm. And the case didn't have standing. It fell on its face. But what it did is it stalled enough and emboldened the Republican legislators to introduce new legislation to repeal the mascot law and enact such a discriminatory language that even Jim Crow compares. That you need a petition mm -hmm. to combat 
the racism. Mm-hmm. You go around in the village and get 10% of the people to say, hey, we need to change this. Imagine if you were sexually harassed in the workplace mm-hmm. and the mandate was that you had to go around to the workplace mm-hmm. and get 10% signatures just to file a complaint. Mm-hmm. It's ludicrous. So anyways, the law that's on the books now is disgusting. I went to the Senate. I, I went to the Capitol Rotunda for the first time that, since my grade school field trip and <laughs> walked into the Senate you know, committee chamber and waited six hours for my turn to speak. Wow. You know, and everybody that I met there, the president of the Ho-Chunk Nation at the time, um, a good friend and mentor, Barb Munson from the Oneida Nation, um, Arvina Martin, who's now a Madison alderwoman, like all of these very important, a good friend of mine, Mark Denning, who was the face of the Marquette Warrior. Okay. Hmm. All of these people welcomed me as an ally. And I got a lot of stuff wrong right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got a lot of stuff wrong for a couple of years, but I got involved with so many people around the country. We blew up Twitter on Super Bowl Sunday. We mm-hmm. started a national organization. And, and now, the, whenever I travel all over the country, it's interesting that I cannot just go to a city to play a gig, but I can go to a Native person's house and meet somebody. I stayed, you know, I, I got to stay in... Red Cliff. I got to stay in mm-hmm. um, Seneca Reservation when I travel. I get to, you know, wow, drive you to. to. So the people that I've gotten to know, I feel like I got an education. I got more of an education from the indigenous friends that I know in two years mm-hmm. than I did in the previous 20. Mm-hmm. And that's very rewarding. And I'd hate to, it's silly to talk about my indigenous friends in such a generalized mm-hmm. way because I'm very aware of that. Um, they're all beautiful people and, and from different nations and tribes and i love them yeah that's an amazing <laughs> story uh yeah that's that's really really fascinating congratulations on all the work that you you have done and that you continue to do and uh, so you talked a little bit about the themes in your music uh what what is the style that you you've you've played in every style under the sun like you know you know a ton of different uh, everything and, except and, maybe chinese opera <laughs> or death metal no no death metal for me i'm not Okay. Not too much slipknot for me. You know, okay. So. Well, I guess you have your, your you've drawn your lines. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what do you prefer to play in for your own music? Hmm. Well, it's hard because I, I like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And that's prevented me from actually kind of, um, maybe some could say, defining who I am in the music world. Um, I don't necessarily uh, want to pigeonhole myself to any particular style. I feel like... I should be able to play any style I want. If I want to release a hip-hop record, I should mm-hmm. do a hip-hop record. If I want to release a rock record, I can do a rock record. And that's cool, cool. Yeah, you're an artist. Do what you want. But in a commercial sense, it's you know people want to know what you are and who you are. So usually I just try and say I'm a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if people want genres, I like to say folk, funk, and mm-hmm. rock, and jazz, mm-hmm. and some hip-hop too. Mm-hmm. Um, even even a little bit of country because in touring so much, it just it just it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the country kind of songs come out of you. You know, yeah. the, the road songs sound like funky, fast driving yeah. road songs. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it happens. So um, I try not to pigeonhole myself or pick too many genres. But it's really nice when somebody recognizes that you're diverse and can do mm-hmm. different things, and then they give you credit for it, and then compare you to other artists who are diverse and also great like so that's humbling Mm -hmm. you know like one time i got a review and somebody compared me to elvis costello 
And I'm not even a huge Elvis Costello fan. I don't own any of his records. But what I do know about him is that he he's a punk. He's a songwriter. He's a folk guy. He's a rock guy. He is who he is when mm-hmm. whenever he is. And True. that's what he that's who he want that's how he does it. And mm-hmm. if you don't like it, then listen to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So um I'm a I'm a Frank Zappa fan. Um and anybody who's a Frank Zappa fan knows that they don't like all of Frank Zappa's mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably a couple albums that you really like, you know, mm-hmm. and probably the ones that you know totally can't listen. Jazz from Hell is a you know, he won a Grammy for it and it's terrible. You know, like <laughs> um so uh, and 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 also the ability to separate um, who the musician is from the music that they make. You know, mm-hmm. Frank Zappa was an annoying weirdo sometimes, <laughs> like in his. But also he assembled a crazy awesome band and drilled them and uh, you know tried to give them stuff that they couldn't play. Right. And the the stuff that came out of this band was amazing. So there's a lot of musicians that. Um, I I would love to be like, uh, not um, imitate, but emulate how they approached mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what drives me a little bit. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, and, and it's just smart uh, from a from a musician's perspective to know different styles because, I mean, you're you're going to get further. I think. I mean, you're going to be able to get more gigs. I I would think. I yeah, mean, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> or has that been your experience? Well, it's a fine line between... I, w- I was trying to make this distinction the other day, the difference between being an entertainer mm-hmm. versus being an artist. And I'm lucky that I'm entertaining. <laughs> I'm lucky right. that I can... I've practiced enough to... You know, I think one time... I, this popped into my mind. There's an old venue in Milwaukee called The Globe. Mm-hmm. that was closed down a long time ago. It was mm-hmm. on North Avenue. And one of my first good Milwaukee shows was The Globe. And our old band was called Green Scene played the globe and we played with a band called funky gonzalez and it was a funk show and people were boogieing and we met some people mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. we got a, a mailing list full of signatures yeah sign our mailing list we got a bunch of signatures and and it was all all the comments were positive except one one of them said learn how to work a crowd <laughs> and i still struggle with that to this day am i here for your entertainment am i going to jump around and wear something wacky just so you can see what I, i'm going to do Right, you know that's what that's half the reason people came to see Frank Zappa. They just wanted to see what the, mm-hmm. the shenanigans were going to be, you know, the Doors. You know, they were like half the people came to see the Doors in the American tour mm-hmm. because they wanted to see when Jim was going to fall off the stage or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, Kanye, you know, there's mm-hmm. a shock value to being an entertainer sometimes, and I don't know if I'm here to shock people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm here to change people's minds, and. Um, it's tough to get heckled. So if you want to be an entertainer, you got to be prepared to be heckled. Right. You know, and in fact, well, if you want to be an artist, you got to be prepared to be heckled too. Right. But it's a different prerogative. If you want to entertain people, you got to be able to stand up there for three hours and make them laugh, mm-hmm. you know, or an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you want to be an artist, you're going for respect. Mm-hmm. You're going for respect from your peers, from your audience, from your labels, from, from everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you can have both. But I think there's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true, and you know, and you're never gonna entertain everyone all the time, and you just have to, yeah, like you said, just be okay with it, as long as you entertain the right people at the right time, right? I mean, that's that's what really matters is, is 
you could you could be coming across someone who's having a bad day. They just they have no idea what they're looking for that day. Hmm. And uh, whoever wrote that review about the you know yeah. working the crowd, you you don't know what happened that to that person yeah. that day. Um, you don't know why they wrote that. Um, yeah, and you got to know that you're not going to please everybody if yeah. you're going to be an artist. And in a lot of ways, you should lean into it. Mm -hmm. um, Derek, I know Derek Sivers from who started CD Baby. He retired a bazillionaire because mm -hmm. CD Baby revolutionized the music mm -hmm. industry because CD Baby digitized everybody's music mm -hmm. and got it onto iTunes mm -hmm. and everywhere else. So, you know, it's uh, it's definitely it's it's a lot of prerogative. Mm -hmm. Who's your audience? Mm -hmm. Is it your just your family? That's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, is it is it your local city? That's cool. Is it you got you got family in Washington? Cool, they'll come to the gig. They might even help you get the gig. You really want a tour? Cool, call them up. Mm -hmm. If they like you, if you have a quality thing, they'll say yes. If you don't, they'll, they'll be honest, then you should appreciate it, at least even if you're angry about it. One time, <laughs> an old friend, one time my uh, my band's, my old band Green Scene's first CD, um, I sent around. You know, I sent it to Citizen King's manager, they, you know, whatever. They, uh, I sent it to... Uh, um, a talent buyer in Milwaukee, um, and um, he booked a lot of good gigs. In fact, uh, you know, things like... Anyways, when he sent him our first CD, he um, he called me back, and he gave us a real... He gave me a real critique on it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, this is not too good. The recording's not that great. Kind of sloppy, you know, he got this and that. But... Here's some strong points. You know, you got some good harmonies on this song. You know, I think maybe your lyrics are, get, you know, like you're on your way. You know, you got some good skill for being 16 or something like that. So try again or mm -hmm. something like that. And I was kind of upset. And I sent him a nasty email. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it wasn't nasty, but like, you don't, but obviously mm -hmm. some, you don't know how long it took to do that. Or you don't, we don't have all the budget in the world mm -hmm. to record everything perfectly, you know, like, and it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're poor, you grow up, borrow money from your parents just to get anything done. Right. You know, and, and your parents aren't affluent. It's already, like, people are already struggling to just get their music out. Mm -hmm. That's what I found in my community. I had to book the shows and rent the park and rent the Legion Hall just so the bands had a place to play. Mm -hmm. um, so we were just trying to get our music out there. And uh, this is kind of long-winded. But anyway, that friend gave me a good critique. Mm -hmm. And he confessed to me years later, he threw the CD out the window of his car. <laughs> but I had come to him later with a better, better album. It was a demo I made in Hollywood. And he was like, oh, this is great. This is clean and crisp. And he hired my band. And he, and he hired me from that point on. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing that, I've, that he taught me and that I've heard elsewhere people say, but sometimes no means not right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you get a rejection, you know, if you want to go out there and be an artist, be an entertainer, um, you got to be able to handle rejection. Mm -hmm. And sometimes no means not right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I count on the rejection. Mm -hmm. I have a saying, rejection is nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> so, and it's a grim outlook. I used to say that nine out of ten gigs weren't that awesome mm -hmm. and 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 i hate to say that's kind of my life experience some of them are i don't want to put people down but a lot of them have been you know low attendance or not publicized right mm -hmm. whether it be the fault of my own or somebody else's mm -hmm. or whatever but that 10th gig is the one you live for mm -hmm. that 10th gig is opening up for third eye blind at Summerfest, and there's you know five thousand six thousand people waiting to hear your stuff and maybe you don't knock it out of the park but it's a base hit Mm -hmm. you know 
I don't have a hit single nationally, but I have uh, some pretty good exposure from my singles in Milwaukee. So I don't know. I don't feel like I've ever hit a home run in this business, but I feel like I've had a few base hits. Yeah, for sure. You have a lot of them. Uh, I, you just you mentioned a lot of really good points just just in the last couple of minutes. But uh, besides those, you know, the, the being the artist and entertainment entertainer, and then what you just talked about now, uh, what are some other what are some of the other biggest challenges that that you or maybe I should put it this way: the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way. Hmm. I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there. <laughs> Still working through some. Uh, I went through a, I think my darkest period was maybe in 2016. I went through a, some stuff. And then I think that whole nation went through some stuff in yeah. 2016. Like, well, they're being upset about Bernie not getting elected or, 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 or Hillary not getting elected. Um, um, and then there's very, there's, obviously there's good reason to be upset for the political fiasco that began in 2016. But I think it went much deeper for me. Um, I didn't, I, I lost something in music and maybe I needed to learn something about music, but that music doesn't always make me happy. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, it shouldn't, it's, that's not, it, it shouldn't, music doesn't make you happy all the time. You put on a song and you could cry. You know, it would make you think about somebody that you lost. You know, it would make you think about um, somebody that you miss or something that you lost, some thing that you didn't do in your life. Um, It can make you think about a God that you don't believe in. There's so many artists that I have loved over the years who were completely atheistic Mm -hmm. in their music. But that's total bull crap Mm -hmm. because they talk about God all the time in their music. So I think it's, it's... it's it's a it's a little it's funny it's it's strange to me to um it would be strange to me if i didn't do music for a spiritual reason and that it didn't encompass all of the things that i am um music should be able to tell the story of my life it's um all of my whininess all of my insecurities all my things. I can say things in my song that I can't say in real life. I can be as insecure as I feel inside and say that in my song and still put on the confidence that I need in the world to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can reveal a whole bunch of um, anger and even hypothesize about things that I would do in the song that I would never do in real life. Mm-hmm. And I so and so sometimes I think that's a little bit that's that's the most freeing part of it, but it's also a detachment. And I had to learn a detachment from my music. Mm-hmm. And it made me angry. Mm-hmm. Um why how did I how did do it's all of me. It's part of it is it all of me or is it part of me? It's part of me. It's, so I had to detach a little bit from music and I think that was the difficult thing that I had to learn. I didn't want to detach mm-hmm. from it so much. Um, but I realized that that's the beauty of it. It's art. You know mm-hmm. why people people get upset about rappers saying this or that or the N-word or mm-hmm. the, uh, um, you know, it's, it's art. Mm-hmm. It's not gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's probably not everything. You know, it's not what they actually do. Right. <laughs> you know. 
Um, so it's 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 a it's a stage thing. Mm-hmm. So are you an entertainer? Are you an artist? You know, if you can take your experience, it's it's hard to define art. If you can, but if you, I think what if you can take your art, if you can take your experience and shine it through your own lens and let people see that experience for what it is, then I think that art is pretty honest. And it's very fair to critique art that you don't think is honest. But um, there's ha- it has to be honest. You know, for me, it has to be honest. Like, even if you're lying in the song, mm-hmm. kind of like lying in an honest way. Because those are the lies that you tell about yourself during the day. Mm-hmm. And then you can say that in your song. And somebody might think, oh, that guy's such a jerk. He's a <laughs> dumbass because that lyric is so dumb. Like, that's so stupid. I would never do that. Well, of course he would never do that. But that's why he got to say it in the song. Mm-hmm. Because he would never do that in real life. But that's what he, that, he had that urge deep down. And, well, he had let it out somewhere. It came out in the song. So it's, um, it is cathartic. But I don't lean on it, you know. Um, I have a counselor. Mm-hmm. I see a counselor. She's mm-hmm. great. She tells me I don't need to be there, and that's why I see her. Mm-hmm. So music is there for me, and it's a little bit of a counselor, mm-hmm. but it's not my everything. Mm-hmm. It's not my entire existence. You know, that's idolatry to me. So, mm. Well said. What other things do you um, enjoy besides music? Oh, all kinds. I enjoy too many things. <laughs> I can't stop uh, enjoying. <laughs> no, I mean. Uh, tell, us about, tell us about the cider thing. Oh, cider making. Yeah, that's fun. Um, I love apples. Yeah. I, I'm, I like history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so apples is part of history. Apples is part of Wisconsin history, mm-hmm. of U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that history was lost in Prohibition. Mm-hmm. A lot of apple trees were chopped down. A lot of cultivars were lost. And, you know, there's a sadness there for me. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there was books and people painted the apples. Mm-hmm. Thousands of varieties are gone, you know. But they've discovered, they've rediscovered a few ones. For me, it's about stories. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe that's how I could connect it to the yeah. way that I um, am a musician. Is that if I can tell a good story in my song, mm-hmm. I think I've done a good job. Mm-hmm. The apples have stories. They have their own stories. And so as many cider makers around the country are, you know, making nice blends of apples. People don't even really know about the apple themselves yet. They know a couple commercial apples in the store. Maybe you could name 10 apples off Mm -hmm. the top of your head that are commercialized and recent. But there's so many great apples. There's thousands of apples out there Mm -hmm. that have great names and great stories. The Mm -hmm. Bloody Plowman, the Scottish apple, the story of that apple, like a wife caught a thief trying to steal his apples from the tree and she shot them on sight and left them dead at the apple tree and what sprouted up from that bag of apples that he stole was a red fleshed apple tree cool it's called the bloody plowman <laughs> i mean there's an apple called green chisel you know that's so cool clear heart there's an irish apple called clear heart isn't that beautiful yeah. i love that you know yeah. um northwestern greening that's a wisconsin apple i make okay. a cider from northwestern nice. greening yeah nice and did so the pandemic kind of helped you to find your way in the cider making. and Is is that fair to say? Yeah, I was trying to do it for a long time, um, mostly as a hobby. But then in 2014, um, I honestly tried to start the business with somebody else. That didn't work out. By um, 2019, I thought I might have a job at a 
somewhere else, actually doing it professionally. That kind of fell through. And so I was seriously, like, going every year. The cider, was blow, the cider business was blowing up year after year. And I'm mm-hmm. like, come on, I got to get this cider business going. Or I'm, miss, I'm behind the curve here. I'm missing the trend. I knew it 10 years ago, and I'm missing the trend. So I, st- I went to wine school, um, and then uh, the pandemic hit last year, and I was lucky to find a good job as a legal assistant. Mm-hmm. And, um, or more like a assistant assistant Mm -hmm. but um assisting a lawyer but then um i also got help from several personal loans to start the cidery because my gigs dried up Mm -hmm. and um a lot of people helped me bring it together there's too many to think of Mm -hmm. that's really cool so uh that is now located in bayview in milwaukee yeah near the hyde house complex Mm -hmm. on greeley street and the name of it Cash cider. Yeah. Cash, not like cash money, but cash, like a cash of information. Yeah, that's so cool. And is, is there like a place we can find out more information on that? Sure, cashcider.com. Or, uh, you know, find us on Facebook. Find us. I just called me us. That's <laughs> it's not, just that's you. It's just me. So I'm, I'm the only one there. <laughs> Send me a message on Facebook. Just shoot up a flare. Just come to Milwaukee and shoot up a flare. And I'll see it, and I'll deliver the cider. That's really cool. So it's I'm, and the the cidery and the music work work well together for you. They do. Uh, I was think in a lot of ways it's a depart. In some ways it's a departure from music, but in some ways it's the same. It's still uh, in the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I own a venue now, so okay. I can have I can have entertainers right. in the venue. That's true. Um, so. Yeah, and my professor, uh, the doctor in wine school, was really emphasizing. Whereas I was thinking it's kind of separate. She was like, "No, you got to cross market that stuff. You have to bring your music with into the cidery and and do the cross marketing because that's what's really going to help sell the cider." Yeah, great idea. Yeah, why not? Why not? And uh, so, what advice would you give to those currently working to get involved in music? Oh, you asked this question online, didn't yeah. you? I would say don't. No, I'm just <laughs> no. I'm not that cynical yet. Um, I'm I'm um, I'm a little bit jaded, but no, I think that if you're a musician, go for it. Um, you need to know what you want. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. You need to know who your crowd is. You need to know who you're playing for. This is my dad talking. You need to know who <laughs> your audience is. You know, if you're gonna play Christian rock, you need to find the church that approves of what you're singing yeah, about um yeah. if you're going to play totally secular music not to say it like that um you need to find that audience mm-hmm. if you're a pop star you got to get the look and the smoke mm-hmm. machines and the manager and the person the roadie because mm-hmm. it's about a show mm-hmm. um so it's show business so mm-hmm. if you're an entertainer know it you know if you're an artist own it um throw yourself up on the altar you know like mm-hmm say this is what i'm made of and then people will critique you and they will tear your soul out and then you'll get back up and you'll go well i'm made of something because i got back up you know and always keep this and this keep this in mind i learned this from working with indigenous people and and even with uh, bernie and things like that this, the hard lessons you learn in life about some of the people that you really love um about some of the justice seekers who got cut down um in this country, um, think about it this way. The tallest blades of grass 
feel the harshest wind. Hmm. The tallest flowers get cut first mm -hmm. to plant the seeds for the next generation. So if you rise and you rise high, know that you're going to feel harsher wind. Mm -hmm. Know that you're going to get cut first. Mm -hmm. and But also know that what you have is good and it's going to feed the next generation. Mm -hmm. So... That's the way I approach, I'm trying to approach music, life. Um, my, entire, uh, my entire soul is trying to have some unity. Um, so when you realize that you don't rise to the top in a commercial world, don't be mad. Well, you're going to get cut down if, you're, uh, if your goals don't line up with mm -hmm. the show business and the pop world and the pop culture. There's a lot of death in that culture that I'm not down with. So I know who I am, and it's not a pop culture icon. Um, I'm something else. Mm -hmm. So if you know who you are, or even if you don't know who you are, go out there and make sure that you are on a quest to find it. Because mm -hmm. if you don't find out who you are, you're not going to last in whatever career you choose. So mm -hmm. just find out that first. Find out who you are. Mm -hmm. Find out what you want to do. Find who your audience is. And then the things will unfold from there. Yeah. Really well said. Have you had a favorite gig? Favorite gig? Oh. Hmm. Well, the first one that came to mind was a tour I did a couple years ago. And we played this amphitheater way out in Washington, central Washington. And you know the Gorge Amphitheater way out there? I don't. These were the previous owners of the Gorge. They actually okay. sold it to the big promotional company. And they opened a fancy new vineyard and winery next to it. And we landed this really cool gig out there. And we were supposed to play on the outdoor stage, but it was too smoky because of the wildfires. It was oh. the first time we had ever experienced act of God clauses in our contracts. Mm. Wow. And our gigs were changed because mm. of the fires. So we played underground in the cave. Cool. And the owner uh, came to us before the show and he told us about the geology of the region, and I was fascinated because yeah. I'm a geology nerd, did it in college. And um, and then we played this gig in the cave. It was just a bunch of people jammed in there. Nice. And it was just so much, it was one of those gigs, it was the, it was the one out of ten gig yeah. that even though it might not be a thousand people, but there's a nice full dance floor of people who are appreciating what you do. And it feels really good in the moment. And you just you want to stretch the song out. Yeah. That's the four minute song becomes yeah, a yeah. ten minute jam. Yeah. So those are the kind of gigs I love and yeah. live for. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, and I think the I, well, I'll just ask you: uh, Is there anything that we didn't cover that uh, you wanted to mention on this podcast? No, I, I think that um, I think this was I I I had a really good time. I think good. I kind of spilled a lot of beans. I opened <laughs> up, and I, I want to say I appreciate you for. Um, jumping into this head first and like online your online presence is thoughtful and you get you know the feedback you get and the insight you get is good and oh, it's and it's needed so kudos for uh carrying this torch yeah thank you um ethan's talking about i have this uh facebook group called allison's music hustle <laughs> and uh, that's actually where I think I met you first, because a friend of a, a mutual friend of ours, I think, invited you. Yeah, to that. Chris that Crow. Chris? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's really where I ran into you first. But I appreciate that. It's been really, really fun. And honestly, I get a lot of good ideas for questions and uh, 
topics for for the podcast and other things from from that group but uh it's it's been really fun to see where that goes and um you know try and keep it uh non-promotional and um it's been really fun so i i thank you for your contributions to that too um and before we go i do want to ask you about glisten the song that you selected for today oh sure glisten um that was a that was off my 2013 album going down in history going down in flames and it was uh, i tried to make that album more of a rock album um and it, most of it was like a, a con- even there's some country songs on there, like a rock country album almost, um, Americana or something. Yeah. You know? um, but it, a little R&B too. So I used to, I think I labeled that album as Americana R&B. Yeah. And the Glisten, the Glisten song is more of one of the R&B side of the cool. songs. And so it's not R&B totally. Um, it's a rock song. but um, And there's a little twist on the lyrics too. Um, so I say Glisten in the Sun. And it sounds like I'm saying glisten in the sun like the sun in the sky, but I didn't spell it that way. I wrote glisten in the sun, S-O-N. Uh, so it's alluding to, um, it's overtly some, it's overt Christian lyrics, you know. Uh, so it's interesting how I, you can inject things in that way and yeah. people would never blink. I'm so glad you told us about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and where can we find you uh, just online for your music? ethankeller.com is my website for my music and it's it's not updated with too many new things but i do have some things in the works okay. so hopefully he'll, you'll hear some new music from me soon absolutely all right we'll check it out for sure so thank you ethan keller for being here with us today thanks allison yeah and uh as always we like to thank the patrons who support wisconsin music ventures and then the musicians venture podcast by nature of, of being a patron and our t- today's featured patron is andrew hits with the um, entrepreneurial musician podcast another podcaster supporting this podcast so thank you andrew <laughs> shines down Waiting for something to witness But this weather is on the sheen On a million mirrors in your TV screen Like sunlit waves in the sea Crucified on the world stage Don't stop, just keep the rhythm Who are you trying to be? Like Jesus talking to me Still heaven just to be with him And I glisten in the sun Glisten in the sun Oh, yeah, yeah. Flip a switch and it's all business
you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.